I was cooking uh, at the weekend with Ben in the Seahorse, and we had some small turbots in for grilling over the fire. They were just unbelievable. I mean, really, really unbelievable. And uh, you know, stiff as boars, beautiful kind of snotty slime all over the back to them, and they were just fantastic. So that's the stuff that's around here at the moment. This is Fishtails, a seafood podcast. I'm John Sussman. Mitch Tonks is a great mate and a true seafood inspiration. In the over 20 years since we first met, Mitch has built several seafood empires, all the time with the enthusiasm and commitment only a true lover of all things seafood can do. Whilst there are many hardworking, committed and talented individuals working in every area from catching to cooking, there are few who have as much involvement in all aspects of the seafood industry as Mitch. Mitch has become one of the most respected and knowledgeable seafood people in the UK and an acclaimed restaurateur, chef and author in the process. His seahorse restaurant has won many awards and his rockfish takeaway and restaurant chain is growing exponentially with equal acclaim. Today we catch up with Mitch again after 18 months, during which his business, based in the southwest of the UK, has gone through a most turbulent period. Hi, I'm Mitch Tonks. Um, I'm uh, the founder and uh, CEO of Rockfish over here in uh, in the UK. Uh, I am sat in my kitchen in Brixham, overlooking a wonderfully still Brixham Harbour this morning. I mean, the whole last uh, last few years have almost been lost years, kind of a bit of a roller coaster, really good bits and bad bits. Um, the start of this year, you know, we rely heavily on our summer trading. Um, was really slow. I think we were probably about forty percent down on footfall in the southwest of England. Um, I think a lot of people were just going abroad, and you know, I did go abroad for five days and realised where everybody was. Um, but we we ended up having a really really great summer. Um, very busy in the restaurants, which was uh, a re- really good sign. But you know, all the while we were just dealing with inflation. You know, literally month on month, supplier after supplier, um, putting up prices overnight, and that was very difficult to manage. Reprinting menus. Um, you know, having to push prices up, engineer a menu to be competitive, deal with wage inflation, then of course the dreaded uh, energy um, issues, which have been massive for uh, for UK hospitality. And uh, give you some idea, we, we you know five of our restaurants uh, for gas alone came out of contract. They were they used to be sixty four thousand a year for the five restaurants, and uh, and they went up to two hundred and forty four thousand a year. And uh, so you can imagine the impact of that. And that's just that's just gas on five. And we've got electric uh, and another five to go. So, I mean, it's been a pretty difficult environment to trade in and um, uh, probably harder than COVID, actually. Um, at least then we kind of knew our enemy. And I think we had support from the government, whereas now I just feel like we're all literally left to, uh, to crash and burn and do what we can to get through it, do what we have to to get through it. Although seafood supply has been good for local operators in the UK, there's been a dramatic increase in the price of wild fish in particular. Supply was okay. There was plenty of fish, and um, you know, but a lot of a lot of the fish price has been driven up now because of the European markets. Uh, in in Holland, there's a big decommissioning program, so there's a lot more people wanting the fish that's landed here in Brixham, and uh, you know, it, on the whitefish market with um, Russian imports. Um, you know, having um, been heavily uh, levied by the British government uh, and obviously the American government meant that there was a lot more, lot more people buying Icelandic and Norwegian fish, which is what we used to buy, and obviously the Spanish uh, doing the same, all the top quality stuff. And so the prices have literally doubled um, uh, almost in three months on, on white fish, in fact, over doubled. And, uh, and our prime fish is just creeping up, creeping up. In fact, we were paying 
45 quid a kilo for turbot on the market floor a couple of weeks ago. I mean, that is a, that is a price that's unheard of. And, um, you know, when that gets to somebody's restaurant, that's a hundred pound a kilo on the bone. I mean, it's, uh, it just becomes a kind of like who's, who's going to eat it, you know? Mitch has always been an enthusiastic advocate for local wild seafood. As he notes, the challenge now is that the cost is going to make eating wild fish potentially an elite experience. Yeah, I think, I think you know, there always has been. I think the barrier for it now is the price. And, uh, of course, the environmental issues are widening now for uh, fishing. So we used to talk a lot about fish stocks as really in isolation about the challenges that fishing face. Now we talk about fishing methods. We talk about carbon release. We talk about you know, CO2 emissions from engines. I mean, the debate has just got wider and wider and wider. And the conditions are harder and harder and harder for fishermen to comply and, uh, and work. So, you know, it's, um, it's, it's a pretty tough environment, I think. Brexit has had a tumultuous effect on the seafood industry in the UK. Originally welcomed by many of the UK fishing industry, but overwhelmingly it is now a cause for anger and disappointment. Exporters have routinely struggled to get their shipments through the borders, resulting in loss of income, or in the extreme cases, entire markets, while small-scale fishers have felt unable to compete with larger European vessels which have retained some access to UK waters. I mean, Brexit is, um, you know, I, I mean, Brexit certainly made it harder for exporters. So, um, you know, for example, Obviously, we used to just send our fish straight over to, to Europe, um, no problem, it would go on a lorry, arrive the next day. Now there has to be a certain amount of health certification and labelling. And if you and I were to share a lorry of, you know, I've got five tonne of crab, you've got five tonne of finfish, and you haven't labelled your, and we're on the same lorry, and you haven't labelled your fish properly, they reject the whole lorry. So that means that we lose all of our product basically it rots at the port because the paperwork hasn't been done correctly and there's been lots of examples of that so people are very nervous about sharing transport um that that doesn't really happen anymore and the price of a health certificate has just been you know as as rocketed local councils won't do it now so it's all having to be done privately and independently so exporting is in is uh, is incredibly hard and what what a lot of um uh and, and 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 that and also there's there's a there's a tariff so that what, what actually happens is that the British, any, any exporter is more expensive than somebody in Europe who can access our market and just import it. And uh, so really what we've done is we've, we've opened up our market for the Europeans and we're not even keeping our fish anymore, we're just giving it to them. Mitch's passion for sharing his knowledge and enthusiasm for eating seafood has been a lifelong mission. Pivoting to delivering fish to consumers at home during COVID was a natural progression for him. COVID provided the ideal opportunity to launch his retail solution. Yeah, so we're 12 months in now. And I mean, the whole idea was really born from selling fish straight off the boat in lockdown. I got our our little fishing boat, was out fishing. And um, a skipper called me and said, look, Mitch, you know, I've got a load of really great fish on board, but you're not gonna land it on the market and get hardly any money for it, it's a real pain. And I said, Nick, why don't you just land it on the quayside? I'll send an email out to our customers and let's see if we can sell it directly to people. And I mean, I couldn't believe it. We trebled the value of the catch. There were hundreds of people lining up on the quayside to buy the fish off the boat. And it just led me to believe that if we could get fish straight from boats to people, it's got to be better than a very clunky supply chain. And then it occurred to me that, you know, when, when I ran fish shops, you know, the amount of waste that we have in, uh, you know, you, you buy a lot of fish in hoping for a good day, it pours a rain. And of course, you know, you end up having wastage. And Sainsbury's, Tesco's, these are two of our biggest retailers, 
have all closed their fish counters, their wet fish counters, and nobody closes a profitable counter, and uh, and they've you know they've they've obviously closed them because they're hard to staff and there's a lot of wastage, and I became really passionate about, you know, if we're if we're going to do all this work in sustainable fishing, then we have to kind of have sustainable consumption. And that sustainable consumption means introducing freezing in, into the supply chain so that when fish is landed in abundance, we, we portion it on the quayside, we send it fresh on days that we've got it fresh, and we send it on frozen on days we've got it frozen. But the point is that there is zero waste in the supply chain, and it goes straight to the customer, whereas via a fish counter, it goes through a clunky supply chain, which puts the fish at risk anyway, and then it ends up on a fish counter waiting to be bought, and it might not be bought, and that's the end of it. So it's gone really well in the first year, John, which is great. We're really delighted with the, with the numbers, and we're converting a lot more people to this kind of you know sustainable consumption, as we call it, um, of seafood. Mitch has been driving sustainable consumption of seafood for years. His love for premium preserved seafood is also long-lived, and launching his own range of British seafood was a natural progression of this passion. Yeah, yeah, we had a record week last week, which is good. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been really, really good. And um, so I am I, I'm, I'm delighted, John. Really, and I think next year we got bigger plans. And the other thing that's gone very well for us is we started tinning fish, as you know, um, taking British seafood at its uh, at its prime and uh, and canning it. And we uh, we were originally doing that with a Spanish partner, which is uh, which is great. And um, we're going to continue to do that. But we also think that we are going to start start being able to can in the UK this year, which is going to be really, really exciting. It's been received really well, John. I think the, you know, it's one of those things in probably like in Australia, you, you walk down the aisle of a, of a supermarket and look at tin fish and it's, you know, 40p, 50p. And, you know, your mind just sort of thinks what on earth is in the tin for 50p. And, uh, you know, when we both know the kind of cost and value of, uh, of seafood and it really is a forgotten category. No one cares about it. And, uh, you know, it's always seen as sort of, cheap food but we both know that when you take a magnificent piece of fish you've got to start with a magnificent piece of fish and you put it through a process of tinning you know you're not you're not you're not taking you're not you're not looking for it to taste like the fresh equivalent that you know there's a lot of magic happens in the tin and you, and you, you have a completely different product something that's really wonderful and and very versatile and um and I think people are just waking up to what you can do with it. And I go out with uh, Jakey and we do these uh, tin fish evenings. So, you know, we make uh, Sri Lankan curries with uh, tinned mackerel, which is delicious. Cuttlefish in ink sauce on, on wet polenta, you know, straight from a tin over, over the top. You know, make wonderful sardine pâtés, crisp fry, um, uh, tin sardines and crunch them over the top of um, uh, Sontam Thai salads. I mean, it's, it's such an amazing product. You don't have to just eat them from the tin with a piece of bread, right? I mean, you know, you make a sardine ragu, pecorino and gnocchi. I mean, it's just, it's like the ultimate good for you food and it's, and it's cheap and it's delicious and supports sustainability. I think that uh, tin seafood is a thing that's really exciting me, John. I think that, um, I'm not sure I'm excited about, about the future for seafood. I think we, we, we face so many challenges that I think it's going to be a few years of getting down to the ground and working those out. I mean, you know, we got we got a lot of environmental pressure here from various groups um, about the carbon release and uh, and all those things. So I, I see myself, I see ourselves in for a year of challenges, um, and you know, we we got to start thinking a little bit differently uh, about the future. But but you know, we'll get there. But it's it's not plain sailing anymore. I don't think. The term underutilised species can be confusing and is sometimes misused as a means to replace the major seafood species that consumers are seeking. 
I think the problem is, John, here is that we don't really have a lot of underutilized species. It's something that seems to be coined by environmentalists and TV chefs when they, you know, say, look at this wonderful gurnard, isn't it amazing? Let's all eat gurnard, it's phenomenal. Well, two things about that particular species, red mullet's the same and turbot's the same, is that you know, our turbot isn't an alternative species, but it's certainly alternative to what most people think of a fish as being a white fish, is that there's no data on any of these species at all. So we shouldn't just jump from one into the other. And secondly, uh, you know, gurn is delicious, um, but it's not cheap and it's not going to replace cod. And also there's, you know, when I walk around the market in the morning, there is nowhere near enough of this stuff to feed a nation. Um, these are just species that haven't been recognized yet, but they, they don't have the potential to replace the the big white fish and the, and, the, and the salmon and the prawns that mostly people eat and call it fish. Each new day begins as though it was his first for Mitch. From his base in Brixham, Mitch is acutely aware of what he's serving in his restaurants, as mostly he's been responsible for buying it on the Brixham market auction floor. Oh man, I mean, you know, this, this time of year is great for us, right? We're in the winter and, uh, you know, the, all, all the boats are out fishing when they can weather-wise and water's starting to cool and the fish is great. I mean, Dover Soles right now, you know, one of our one of our most valuable catches, you know, fetching, you know, 25, 30 pound a kilo regularly all the time. And, um, you know, so wonderful firm flesh, amazing. You see these things glistening over there, phenomenal. Um, uh, looking at our shellfish like mussels over there now, I mean, fat, plump, utterly delicious, you know, really great. There's whitefish like whiting coming in and hake at the moment is, uh, you know, w wonderfully kind of fat. And, uh, and you know, I, and turbots, I mean, I, had some, I was cooking uh, at the weekend with Ben in the Seahorse and we had some small turbots in for grilling over the fire. They were just unbelievable. I mean, really, really unbelievable. And, uh, you know, stiff as boars, beautiful kind of snotty slime all over the backs of them and they were just fantastic. So that's the stuff that's around here at the moment. Through his extended network of restaurateurs, chefs and foodie mates, along with his seafood supply business, Mitch is intimate with the trends in food across London and the UK. And he is seeing a polarisation of restaurants occurring there right now. There's some really, really great new openings. And I mean, London in a way, in central London, is overheating, really. And, uh, you know, restaurants are packed. I was up there, you know, last week. And, you know, my favourite place is just wonderful. You open the door, there's that noise, there's that sound and that clatter. And uh, that real hum of people enjoying themselves. But, you know, you sit down at a table... And, uh, you know, you, you look at a, a, a ribeye steak, bernays and chips in a kind of, uh, you know, a bistro, or, okay, you're in Mayfair, and uh, you're paying 54 quid. And, you know, add a glass of wine, add a starter, and you're on 100 quid for, uh, for, for a lunch. And, uh, and that's not even a lunch that, that, that we go mad at, like you and I would, Sus. You know, that's just, a, that's just a basic, that's just a basic, fill yourself up, right? So um, I think it's, uh, I think it, you know, I, I think there is a kind of like, um, a two-tier restaurant industry really there are those that are doing really well and and they're attracting the crowds that are not affected by all of this and price doesn't matter and then there are there are those restaurants where we're feeding the people and um you know creating something for everyday people and uh, you know that's tough that's tougher well i mean we, you know we, we we've got three sites us that we i've got the keys to that uh, we, we were starting one uh, next week and uh, or sorry first week of january and uh, another in the summer. But I'm actually getting to the point now where I'm considering mothballing those for 12 months and uh, just to, you know, carry on paying the rents and, and, and just see how everything really unfolds. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, th those are just what, that's just one of the options I sort of think in my mind. But, you know, it will all bounce back. We're in a temporary hiatus of, uh, you know, coming out of COVID, the global economy affected by war. And, uh, and I think it's very prudent to, uh, you know, I feel very responsible for the 300 people that work for us and um, which grows to 400 in the summer. Yeah. And, um, and I feel 
I feel like I, I kind of want to, want to protect that rather than just sail into this with all guns blazing, sails up, and uh, and get flattened. And uh, but we will we will be bouncing back, and we will we we will see growth again. And um, and it's just timing, I think. Mitch is an eternal optimist. His undying pursuit of maximising people's enjoyment of seafood is as inspiring as it is a savvy business strategy. What's exciting me, probably the, the thing I'm most excited about, John, is um, uh, the online seafood market and uh, tinning fish. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, incredibly passionate about what we do at the restaurants. I'm obviously looking, looking forward to the summer uh, when people return to the region, which is, which is going to be, you know, going to be super. And uh, but I'm really, really passionate about changing the way people buy seafood in Britain, and I, and I want it to be the future that, you know, people um, in various locations online or whether they go to one of, you know, I'm, I want to create a virtual fishmonger where, where there's a fishmonger with no fish there's just frozen fish in a screen and somebody will be in there to take your order and uh, you know your fish will arrive with you the next day at your holiday home at your house wherever, wherever you want it to be direct from the port and and that's that's what i want to see for the future and the tinning you know i want to see our fish uh, tinned in uh, in britain but also i want to can small reserve a catches so if, if a boat catches you know 10 boxes of red mullet i want to take that fish i want to be able to fillet it pin it and i want to can it the next day so that we've actually got prime fish being canned as it's landed and those things just become you know incredible um sort of you know uh, gastronomic experiences in their own right and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really kind of like preserve the value and preserve the quality of a small boat's catch Cooking is an innate part of Mitch's life. For as long as I've known him, not a single day goes by without some conversation and consumption of seafood. He continues to motivate, inspire and support everyone in seafood from the water to the plate. There is sure to be many exciting projects developed in Mitch's kitchen over a piece of fish in 2023. Uh, over winter for me, I mean, it's fish stew time, so I love getting, you know, there's nothing nicer than spending an afternoon in the kitchen here at home and a pile of crab shells, roasting them up, making a really, really wonderful shellfish stock. And uh, then getting a lovely kind of, you know, sofrito base going in there, some perno, some wine, boiling it off, adding the stock, adding a whole load of whole fish, blitzing it up and passing it, and uh, making a wonderful base for, for orzo and, and other, other fresh fish and red mullet to go into it. So you get this really kind of wonderful, rich, gorgeous stew that you sit on a kind of wintry day with a nice bit of chili aioli. And, um, but the other thing I'm doing, Sus, which is great, I'm doing a, um, uh, a book with the Al Gattinero guys and the Seahorse guys. So uh, Ben and Jake and the Al Gattinero guys in, uh, in, uh, in Italy uh, get Ruggiero's recipes in there and Ben and Jake's recipes. So we do a, a new cookbook. And I'm also working on a, a tin seafood cookbook as well. So those, those are two really great projects that I should be doing too. This is Fishtales, a seafood podcast. A Deep in the Weeds production, I'm John Sussman. Follow us on Instagram at Fishtales Seafood Podcast or email us at fishtalespodcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay tuned for more tales from beneath the surface of the seafood world every Friday on your podcast app.